Well, happy Sunday to you. You doing good? Okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I hope you're getting out there. And It's hard to believe September came. I was like, what happened to August? <laughs> but here we are, and thank you for uh, being here today. We really do welcome you. You made a few decisions already today, didn't you? How many of you have made at least five decisions today? Can I just suggest it's way more than that? Thank you for deciding to show up here. How many of you had a hard time deciding what socks to put on? A tough, isn't it? It's a challenge. All these decisions that you make in a daily basis. I want to talk to you about that today. We have a, a wonderful series starting next weekend that's going to encourage you to sing along and be a part. It's going to be a little different than what we've done. So today I get this standalone moment where I get to just talk from my heart a little bit. And I, I've been really prayerful about talking to you about how you decide to do what it is that you do. What is the process that you use to make decisions in your life? So let me just start with a story. Five years ago, actually, let me go back farther than that. Back in the 90s, um, we decided to buy this land, 35 acres. But it was just, how many of you were, were around back then? We were meeting over on LeMay and and we were outgrowing that building, and we got our eye on this piece of land, huge piece of land, 35 acres. It was kind of out in the middle of nowhere, though. That was the problem. It was this little old two-lane road called Timberline. It, it was just, it was a mess. And the price of the land, 35 acres, $650,000. <laughs> now that's the price of a barn. And we just decided we got we to gotta try to take a leap of faith and get out there. And, and, and again, this is just raw land. You guys, I used to live across the street in that neighborhood right there. And I used to ride my dirt bike over here and ride all over this field. It's crazy. And so I sat down with who happens to be here at this service, John Cook, who was our business administrator at the time. And, and uh, we got a plan together of how we could save up and plan and buy this 35 acres for all this money. And... And it started us on a journey. However, we knew that when we built this building, we were going to move in around 2000, 2001, 2002, the whole plan. And the problem with the land were that there were these horrible old buildings that were right there. That's, that's actually where they were in proximity to where I am right now. How many of you remember those old buildings? And I, I thought, i got to find out what those are. And I, I dug around at CSU. And, and I, I was like, okay, I, I wonder how long those buildings are going to be around. So I just made a call. Can, are those ever going to be gone because they're, they're really tough? And they go, oh, yeah, that's kind of the old ag school. We keep like asbestos and deadly chemicals and things like that in there. It's no problem. Don't worry. That's, they're probably going to be gone by 2001. I'm like, yes. All right, let's, go, let's proceed. We buy the land. We get it paid for. We start our building. We move in. <laughs> buildings are still there. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I made a decision that I wanted those buildings gone, and I was going to do everything in my power. And after we built this building, those buildings were still there. I called CSU again. The buildings are still there. I thought they were going to be gone. Oh, yeah, we postponed it, probably 2006 or whatever. I'm like, oh. like taking this to God, like, God, those buildings, I just, I felt like God saying, can you still worship? 
Well, yeah, 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 we've got a great, uh, can you still park the people who are, yeah, 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 it's all, it's all good. But those buildings are so ugly. I just, God, you've got to just nuke them, get rid of them, do something. This isn't your will. I don't want them in my face. Every time I drive into this building, it just, it ruins the whole thing. And it was just all this, all this pressure and, and stuff. So then 2006, no, they're not gone. 2012, they said probably by 2012. Well, 2012 came, it wasn't by. So five years ago, I'm living in frustration every time I drive into the build, into this. And I, I, I just had this weird thing that I told Bonnie, I think God is putting on my heart that we're going to get a new neighborhood around our facility. And I hope it's with that land, but I don't know what it is. And, but I'm, I'm not going to plan on that. I'm just going to be prayerful about what it means because a neighborhood to a pastor these days could be Africa. It could be we're going to partner with a new missions group or whatever. And so I, I said to Pastor Scott when he was on our team, Pastor Scott Kissel, I said, take a walk with me today. It was like a Monday. And he said, where are we going? I said, I just want you to walk with me. So I, we walked up here and I went over upstairs and went over and I looked out at that land over behind the parking lot and I said, I think God is, is wanting us to have a new neighborhood back here behind the parking lot. But I don't know if we're supposed to make that happen because the land at that time was zoned in such a manner that there was no way our, our church could get it zoned in a way that we could build on it. But, you know, the city and CSU, they could. They can do what they want. How many of you know that? So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm just praying about it. I said, just pray with me. That's all I'm asking. The very next morning, the very next morning, it's so ironic, I get this call and, and they invite me to a meeting where affordable housing, City of Fort Collins, CSU, they're all going to be there and they're saying, with you in the middle of all this as Timberline Church, would you come to a meeting because we want to donate that five acres to the city to put some affordable housing there. I'm like, wow, that's the new town that I feel God's putting in my heart. And so I go to the meeting and we go through the meeting and it's very exciting and I'm thinking we're going to be good neighbors. And we're going we're gonna to let this happen. And most of all, those buildings are going to be gone. I'm so happy. And at the end of the conversation, I just randomly said to Tom Gleason, who's the uh, uh, vice president of land management for CSU, I said, hey, I don't know, Tom, if you would have any interest. And we have like eight or nine acres back behind our parking lot. And if you would rather trade that four and a half or five acres for that eight plus acres, um, and we could just do a, a swap, no money. You could give more land, and the housing area could be bigger. And he goes, you know what, that's worth thinking about. I said, okay, let's think about it, pray about it. And I am happy to tell you that we closed this week. We own that five acres, the frontage on Timberline. They own the eight and a half behind, and they're going to build a new neighborhood that we get to serve and love. How exciting is that? And we've exchanged, basically we've exchanged just closing costs uh, on, on all these projects and stuff. And so the biggest thing is that the buildings are gone. People are like, what are you going to do with that land? I don't know. I don't care. I'm just glad the buildings are gone. You can park your motorhome on there. I don't care. What you... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You cannot park your motorhome on there. So now they've put a, a fence up, a temporary fence. They're starting their building. But you guys, here's what I want to say. My decision and my will and what I wanted didn't happen. But God had a plan, 
and put me in the story of what he wanted to have happen. Could I just say today that when you make a decision to follow the Lord, you are also saying, I am following your plan, not mine. So here's the deal. I decide, and then I keep deciding. I decide to follow Jesus, and then I keep deciding to follow Jesus in every turn that comes, in the surprises, in the death of a friend, in the death of a spouse, a daughter, a son, a neighbor, in the tragedy of, of whatever it is you're in the midst of. You decide to follow him, and then you keep deciding. And it never is gonna, it's never gonna be what you think it's gonna be. But that's why decision-making is difficult. I don't struggle too much in buying socks. I don't wear socks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't struggle too much. But in, in the big things of following Jesus, I wanna make good decisions. So today I wanna talk about a very serious thing in our decisions. And let me set it up before, here's number one accepting my responsibility. As a follower of Jesus, I need to accept my responsibility. Now, this first part of what I'm gonna read to you is for pastors and Christian leaders. So this first point is more for me than it is for you, and I just want that to be clear because I wanna talk about that. But it's also important to know that Paul is old when he writes this. He's about to die. As a matter of fact, he addresses his death later on in this, in this chapter. And he's writing to a young man named Timothy who he is empowered to lead the church. And he's given him counsel on how to lead people and how to be a shepherd and how to be a pastor. So this passage is read by pastors quite often at, at special events like ordination services and uh, certificates of ministry. And, and, and these are the responsibilities of a pastor. So 2 Timothy chapter four, it says this. Paul says, I solemnly urge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead. What is all that about? That's heightening the responsibility load, saying you're gonna be accountable for the way you pastor. A little fear in there, like there's gonna be a judge of what you do. So in light of that, preach the word of God, which in those days would be the law, the Old Testament, and those, those books. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. These are things that are my job. Now, as a lead pastor of a church like Timberline, I thank God for our staff and our team. with the best staff we've ever had. I love our team. And when I think about our teaching team, I gotta tell you, you know, God has helped us assemble some of the great teachers. And what you get on a weekend, we talk as a team, it's important what we do here. And what they bring, sometimes I listen to how their minds work and watch their outlines and we talk about all these things and I'm just amazed that God sent us the talent and the giftedness and you don't have to listen to me every single weekend. Somebody say, praise God. <laughs> this team is amazing. And we talk about this responsibility and how important it is to preach the word and, and do these things. And, and that's the first one, preach the word, the Bible, this book. Can we represent that? Can we let this be the truth in which comes from this desk? The second one is be prepared. 
That's why we study together. That's why we have afternoons that are teaching team oriented. It's why we actually have a school of teaching. It's why we do all the things we do to make us better so that we can be prepared when we stand here. The next one in the list is patiently correct. Who is is Paul telling Timothy to correct? (laughs) You guys. Patiently correct the church you lead, the people in the church. So let let me throw this out there. Have you ever tried to like correct someone in the culture we live in today? Wowzer. People don't want to uh, face correction. They don't want to hear anything from me. Do you really want to receive my correction? Anybody? Oh, a few of you. Praise God. There's one. There's one in the house. We had three in the last service. Come on, step it up. (laughs) See, our culture doesn't want to live with accountability, and they certainly don't want the Bible to tell them who it is that they are accountable to. Your pastor, really? Well, I'll decide who I listen to. I'll decide who I want to have in my life as my accountability person. This, this is a big thing in our culture. And the, the next word is even worse. It's rebuke. Wow. I'm thankful I don't have to do much of that. Because the last one really is good. It says encourage people with good teaching. I like the encouragement part. And that's what we try to do with you. That's our role. That's on us. We're trying to encourage you to step up and run this race God's called us to run. But let me switch it. What is your responsibility in the role you're in right now, Dad? Mom? Grandpa, grandma, what is your role? What is your role, aunt, uncle, sibling, teacher, employer, employee? How can you be faithful to steward what God has put in your hand? That's what Paul is saying. It matters how you behave and what you believe. And you need to make a decision if you're going to lead with godliness or not. And if you decide to lead with Jesus first, then you're going to have to keep deciding that because life gets difficult and the challenges come. So let's move on. It gets worse. Accepting the Bible as truth. Accepting the Bible, not only do I need to accept my responsibility, but for me, I want to accept the Bible as the truth, the book, the pattern of truth that I want to live my life by. Now let me read what it says here, and you just analyze this. For a time is coming, this is a couple thousand years ago, remember, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, and they will chase after myths. Do you think we might be living in those times? Wow. A time is coming. Well, the time did come. We're here. We really are here, and this is evident all over, and I'm going to give you some examples. I think that time has come. What is sound and wholesome teaching? It just means teaching. You might not like this, but sound and wholesome teaching means teaching that includes disciplines that are in the Bible. There are absolutes 
as much as our culture hates that word, there are absolutes that do not change. And you have to decide whether you accept it or believe it or not. And if you decide to, then you're going to need to keep deciding regardless of where the culture goes. And it's getting tougher. I'm amazed at how many emails I received during the COVID experience of people, not just Timberliners, but people from around the country who actually target larger churches and find out who the pastor is, and they send them, and they, they basically say things like this. This is a teaching from a prophet, and you need to listen to this and take it to your church, because this is of God. And a few times, you know, I would fire those up, and it takes me to a YouTube channel, and it's somebody... I don't know, I've never heard of them, I don't know anything about them, they're not vetted in my mind. And I remember specifically this one who said, God has told me that in six months the rapture will happen. And God is purifying the world with COVID. And this is your opportunity. Hmm. Well, I marked my calendar and anticipated. It didn't happen. In, in Bible terms, that is called a false prophet. Do you know what they did with false prophets in Bible terms? How many of you actually know what they did? <laughs> they took them to the city gate and they were stoned. That has nothing to do with drugs. <laughs> they were stoned, like rock throwing. They died. Why? Because that's how serious it is. That's how serious prophecy is. And I watch YouTube after YouTube of things that people sent me that this, I had one that said Donald Trump is the savior of the world and make sure, you know, whether you're a Donald Trump fan or a Joe Biden fan or where you are politically, I don't care. There's only one savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And we better get that right. Why? Because that is a truth that will never change. And I decide that, and I keep deciding it. And then I start seeing other things happen. The kind, of, the kind of challenges that we have in our world, like right now, what, what I'm about to tell you is not a joke. And I'm not being sarcastic about it in any way or making light of it. There is a new translation of the Bible called the Queen James Version. Some of you may have known that. Some of you may not have known that. They have basically cut out all the passages of homosexuality, of pronouns, and they've changed. They've left a couple books out completely, and they have completely changed this book, which in this book it says don't add or take away. And I'm just baffled because now they're reading a Bible that is not the Bible. It's not the Bible. Why, why is that happening? Because there's a need in people somehow to prove that the behavior they want to embrace is embraced by God. You know, my question is, why do they need a Bible? Why don't they just say, I don't believe the Bible? What do they need to make it into a Bible? Because it's not a Bible. You say, well, you're picking on homosexuals. No, I'm not. 
the heterosexual community in our world is absolutely blowing up in sexual sin. Christians sleep around just as much as non-Christians outside of marriage. Adultery is at a rampant. There, there's sex on first dates for people who call themselves believers. That isn't what this book says. And sometimes I feel like, man, am I just an old-fashioned guy who, who is just going to you know, die old? And I'm not grumpy. I'm not angry. As a matter of fact, if you have a son or a daughter or a loved one who's coming out in this, it's confusing. Gender issues are not to be made light of or mocked. They're hard. It's gut-wrenching. And your kids need you to love them. Don't abandon them. Don't let the church shun them. Let's be the people who let love live in their lives and, and show and display that love. But it doesn't mean we compromise what the book says. It's a huge challenge. It bre breaks my heart when I think about the challenges that we face in our, in our church and the issues that people have and as families go through these challenging things. Man, correct, rebuke. What does it mean for us? It's much easier to change the rules than to live by the rules. And that's the challenge that we're in. I, I think of, let me give you a lighter example. <laughs> There's a guy, I love to talk about David Bernard. Uh, he, he was, a, he was a, a great manager. Matter of fact, he ended up managing the big Biltmore Hotel out east and, and he, he was a Canadian and he came to America, and he's loved golf. And his, his name is David Bernard Mulligan. I'm not making this up. You can research it. How many of you play golf and you know what a mulligan is? A mulligan, it, what is it? It's a do-over. I didn't like that shot. I'm going to hit a different one. So that's a mulligan. How did, how did it come to be a mulligan? If you look this up, you'll see this story. He's kind of rattled one day. He gets on the tee box with three of his buddies. They played regularly every week. And, and he, he just was in a hurry, and he rushed over, and he hit the ball, went out of bounds. And he said, guys, I'm so flustered. I'm just going to hit another ball and start over. And he hits another ball. And they're all looking like, what? So at the end of the round, they started using this joke saying, well, you could always just pull a mulligan. Pull a mulligan. Like, just hit another ball if you don't like it. I just want to tell you something. I have a rule book to golf. It's like that thick. There are a lot of rules in golf. And the word mulligan is not in the book. <laughs> there is no such thing as a do-over or a mulligan in the game of golf. Unless you play with me. <laughs> and then I'm good with you taking a mulligan. All right? But it just makes the point that sometimes we like to do a mulligan. We like to do over. I don't want to hit that shot. I, don't, I made a mistake. I'm going to start over. Thank God he gives us opportunities to start over. That's why I decide and then I keep deciding. There's some things when I decided and I changed my mind. But those can't be absolutes. And that's the challenge we're in today is that rejecting the truth has consequences. And we really don't like consequences. Chasing after myths, as Paul called it, has consequences. Myths are way more romantic. That's why people wanna change what this book says. And these are not mean people, they're not bad people. 
God loves the people who don't like some of the things in this book. We as a church have to walk a really tight rope to stay loving and kind and gracious and help people through a very difficult journey in their life. Number three, accepting the ministry that God has for me. Not only do I have to accept my responsibilities and I have to accept the Bible as truth if I make that decision, but I have to kind of decide what are my ministry gifts? What, what am I called to do on this earth? Why am I here? And that's a lifetime journey. I, I will say, it's a lifetime journey. It changes with age, and as you get older, you have other things. But here's what Paul says about it. In verse five, he says, but you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Wow. That's why we do things like volunteer weekend is because we want to give you opportunity to think about what it is that you do. We have forms you can fill out, things to find out what maybe you're good at. And I would say this, we're a church that wants to equip you to do what you're called to do inside the church and outside. You might be a manager of a construction project, and our goal is to make you the best manager out there, best elementary teacher or high school teacher that you can be. We want to equip you in the gifts that God has given you. So that's why Paul says, keep a clear mind. What does that mean? It really means remove the fog, like remove the clouds that might exist in your life. Remove the clutter. The other day, I came across a little Tupperware box about that big. And actually, it was only like that deep. It wasn't, but it was just stuffed. It was like, just had stuck, and he put the lid on it. And I'm like, what is in this box? It's only been here for five years. And I took everything out of that box. And I'm like, that's where that went. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I threw half of it away and put the other stuff. And now the box is just, it was cluttered. I had just kept putting stuff in there. And, and, and Paul's saying, don't just clutter up your life. Don't just keep adding. Clean it out. Get a clear view of what God wants. Remove the distractions. Then he said, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. You know, obedience can include suffering. Walking the line of truth because you've made a decision can include suffering. We're not used to that. But boy, I'm telling you, the culture Paul wrote this in, these people got smashed by the Roman Empire. They suffered. Many of them died because they were Christians. They were, they were killed. They were run out of town. We don't even know what that's like. We, we, we say our rights and what we have the right to do. But I'm telling you, if you obey God, if you decide that you're going to adhere to this book, you're, you might suffer, especially in the years ahead. Because uh, it's, it's going to be a challenge to try to proclaim anything in this book. But why? Because it's an offense to people who don't believe it's the truth. And that's going to be a real challenge for us. Our logic tells us that if I obey God, then I will be rewarded and suffering will be removed from my life. That's the American gospel. It's not true. Let's go to number four. Live faithful to finish strong. It's not doing more that allows you to finish strong. It's living faithful. And there's a big difference. And Paul this is one of my favorite passages in Paul because he's so real. You know, Paul can be so big. He's bigger than life. It's one of the things he says, you can't, it's not, doesn't fit on my palate. It's like, wow. 
But this, he's getting really real. Look at this. As for me, my life has already been poured out like an offering to God. The time of my death is near. See, that doesn't sound like the old Paul. Go change the world. Get up. Pray. Be healed. You're not sick. You're not going to die. Get out. No, he says, I'm going to die. It's kind of a nice resolve that he has that how many of you are going to die? You know, it's one thing we have in common. We all are going to die at some point unless the Lord returns. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. And it's not the prize of the world. It's not wealth. It's not all the things that we think are what God wants to give us if we're going to be blessed. It's the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but guess what? It's for all of you who eagerly look forward to his appearing. All of you, all of us who make a decision and keep deciding to follow and keep our eyes on the one true God. Paul knew death was here. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I love that statement. I, I, I pray I can say that someday when I near the end. And the thing is, I don't know where the end is. But I know I want to finish the race. And I want to be found faithful. Enter in thy faithful, thy faithful servant. I, I just love that. That's what we're called to, to be more than we're called to do, is just to be faithful. I was thinking about how to wrap this up, and I don't want us to focus on everyone else and all the other sins of everyone else and how horrible it is and the world's falling apart. No one believes the Bible anymore. I want you to look at you. So I, I made some questions for me, and I put them in the notes. Number one, have I decided how I will live? Have I? Have you made a decision to have Jesus in your life? If you have not decided that, today you can do that right here. And it's not by being better or doing more. It's by believing. It's by confessing. It's by accepting that the work of Jesus on the cross was enough. And you can have eternity with God. Number two, and this is a big one. This was a big one for me when I was building this. What adjustments should I make? If I want to be faithful to the end, what are some, some lifetime adjustments that I need to be making right now? And I'm telling you, every stage of life has different ones. But I, sometimes we just need a full restart. How many of you know what reboot means? You ever do that with your phone? Like it's just acting weird, it won't do this, or your computer. And, and I, I learned years ago, just do a full hard reboot. I'm like, what is that? Boom. No, it's not. It's turning it off completely and letting it power up again. And I don't know why it fixes so many things. It's like a magic thing. And sometimes in my Christian walk, I just want to say, God, I just need a reboot. I just, I just need to start over with this. I've messed it up. Some of you today, let that be your hope. You can do that. God will help you. That's the joy of this. Some of you, it's just a small adjustment. It's just, it's just an action step. It's a mental decision to keep deciding. Stay on this path. Don't give up. I, I, I choose to love my wife. I decided to love my wife, and then I keep deciding. It's much harder for her because she said she would love me, and she has to keep deciding. 
but I keep deciding. And the last one, will I finish strong if I stay on this path? Will I finish strong if I stay on this path? That is a huge thing. You know, if a rocket takes off and it's just one degree off, you're not even going to see it for a while. (laughs) But up there, it could be hundreds of miles off course. And that's why this whole idea of finishing strong, it's important to get the little details right. I decide and I keep deciding. It brings me back to center. It brings me back to that place that God is strategically placing me. I must make adjustments in my life. I, I grew up going to church, and one of, the, one of the things that would happen around prayer time pretty often in the church I grew up would, would be that the people would sing a, an old chorus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning. Sing it with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that our decisions matter. Thank you that you've called us to decide and keep deciding. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to be close to you and that you love us unconditionally, but your word teaches us how to follow you. Thank you for truth. Thank you for truth that is real and relevant in our world and in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will give boldness and courage and strength to those in this room who are broken, who are hurting, who aren't certain where you are in the midst of the storm they're in. May they decide right now to trust you and keep deciding tomorrow and the next day as life unfolds even if it's hard even if it's not the plan they wanted encourage them today for those of you that want to decide to follow Jesus with heads bowed in this room just say it right now I choose to follow you Lord I submit my life to you you're the son of God you died I confess my sins I give you my all. Just do it. Just trust him. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a new journey. For those of you that might be caught up in the sins of this world and it's life controlling, maybe there's been a compromise and maybe no one even knows it. Maybe it's not a sin that's so physical and that you see, but inside you're a mess. Hit the reboot button today. Ask God to restart you, to get a new passion in your life, to trust him for your future. Lord, we give all this to you, and we thank you that you love us enough to give us the opportunity to make a decision, and we do so with love and determination. 
I want us to just pause for a moment of reflection for bringing our time, talent, and treasure. We haven't passed the plate in a long time, but I think offering reflection is really important. So just thank God for your provision right now. Would you just thank him? God, thank you for the provision in my life. I don't take it for granted. Show me how I can be faithful with my time, my talent, and my treasure. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'm praying for you. I want us to live love out. And with everything I've said today that is pretty relevant to our world, there's nothing in me that hates anybody or is screaming on a political line. We as a church must be very careful to love people who are struggling. I struggle. How many of you struggle? Let's love, and let's let the love of God live through us. That's a decision. Amen? Love you.